You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello, and uh, we're here uh, recording episode number eight. I am joining today the show with Dr. Philippa Tigre and Dr. Wilsania Rodriguez-Mendez. They welcome me into their office. I'm here at their private practice which happens to be extremely close to the current facility where I work, St. Joseph's Hospital, and they literally up the stairs. And Dr. Tigre specifically, I decided to reach out to him because I feel that he has inter- an interesting story um, to tell us and probably give us some tips on what has been his career in the United States for the last 20 years, you would say? Oh, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, both Dr. Tigre and Dr. Rodriguez Mendez are board certified residency trained in internal medicine, and they have been working together in this practice. Dr. Rodriguez Mendez just joined his practice and they're trying to kind of make it grow and and they both have a very interesting uh, story to tell us. So how are you guys today? Doing very good. Doing good, thank you. So uh, just to kind of give you um, an idea, uh, we have a combination of both outpatient medicine and, and inpatient medicine with Dr. Atigre. He has extreme experience also with elder nursing home patients, and he has a very successful and um, amazing practice. Uh, one thing that I like from you is that your personal interaction over the phone and in person has been always remarkably professional and candid towards me and th- towards my colleague, and you're remarkably easy to deal with. So. Uh, Dr. Rodriguez Mendez has joined his practice. She's from the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and she graduated uh, from medical school in 2005 and, and from residency training in 2012. So since ladies always go first, uh, Dr. Uh, Wilsania, why don't you please introduce yourself and tell us more about you? Yes, well, you already introduced my name, Wilsania Rodriguez. Um, originally from the Dominican Republic, born and raised. So after finishing medical school in 2005, I was not really sure like what was going to be my next step. I only knew I wanted to, you know, get training outside of my country because I'm not saying training is not good there, but I wanted to have options to a better education. So while we were just trying to decide, my friends initially we were planning to go to Europe, um, mainly because of the language. My English was not really good. I only knew the basics when I used to come to the States on vacation, but like English, no. So one of my friends 
said, you know, I'm going to the, I'm planning to go to the States. And I said, why the States? And she just said, well, I don't really want to be so far from home. And uh, our training programs uh, seem to be better. And the quality of life, I think, I, I prefer to go to the States. We have better opportunities. At that time, you know, Europe wasn't really doing that great. And Where in Europe were you thinking? Madrid. Of I was Madrid. thinking of Madrid at Spain. that time. Spain. A lot of Dominicans mm -hmm. were really going to, to Madrid for residency. So... Um, me being Colombia, personally, I, I, I was getting paid probably like $1,000 a month to be a general physician. I was probably working 90 to 100 hours a week. It was insane. Um, you know, I don't know what's the situation in the Dominican Republic. Uh, physicians are really underpaid. And for you to be able pretty much to survive, you have to have two or three different jobs. And also you will need somebody to, you know, be your godfather, as we call them, to uh, really help you build a practice. It's very uncommon for like young uh, physicians to succeed in the Dominican Republic. Usually you need a friend, your parents, if you're coming from a, from a family of physicians, it's usually easier because then they will help you open private practice. But for somebody like me that didn't really have any like doctors in the family, it was going to be a struggle. Let me ask you both of you these questions. I mean, there is so many backgrounds economically, financially mm -hmm. of uh, foreigners that want to come into America and you know the financial bur burden of paying for all these tests and sometimes the sacrifices that we have to make and sometimes live here in the United States at family places or friends places in which, you know, we just simply have no income. I don't know, what was your background? I was a spoiled child, mid-upper-class Colombia. Everything had been given to me. I don't know what was, for both of you, what was the kind of financial situation that you you came from or how was that for you guys? Well, I could call myself a privileged, you know, child, child in the Dominican Republic. I mean, my parents were not rich, but were both professionals. My dad is an engineer, my mother uh, was a lawyer. So me and all my sisters, we all went to like relatively good schools, private schools in the Dominican, and they gave us the opportunity, you know, to also go into like higher level of training. Mm -hmm. um, my parents, they didn't have a lot of money, but the money they had, they invested in education. So I was lucky. You know, like they paid for my whole education and by the time it was time for the boards and the USMLE and all the steps, it was a really big expense and then they cover everything with loans that eventually I was able to repay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. What about for you, Dr. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was born in Ghana, so I always consider myself a very lucky child. Not a wealthy child, but a very lucky child. For the Ghana standards, yeah. right? Uh, because um, uh, at the age of 12, I got a scholarship uh, fully paid for by the government of Ghana to Cuba. So I was part of a group of students who once you fell under that umbrella, everything was free. So when I got to Cuba at the age of 12, you know, I had to learn Spanish. I started sixth grade in Cuba and uh, to pre-university uh, a medical school uh, for six years. So after my medical education in Cuba, uh, what another umbrella 
the government of uh, of Ghana peers in American dollars. Wow. And um, we're very fortunate. We still wear Ghanaians, we're wearing Cubans. So we have no limitation to travel. We could go wherever we got a visa to. Uh, and our program was such that it has so many other international students that you are able to develop those international connections uh, that once done with medical school, I mean, you can pretty much go to wherever you want. Sure. And that's how. What, why was uh, your country, Ghana, specifically linked with the country Cuba? of Cuba? Well, was it political, political well, relations? At the president of Ghana was progressive. And we had a lot of students from Africa, Latin America, a lot of them who were in that program. So in, in Jamaica. In your medical school program yeah. in Cuba. We were, it was the Cuban program. So we started just like the average Cuban in their primary schools. Now, when you get to medical school, we were with Cubans, but you have like people from Jamaica, maybe one or two from Jamaica, five from my country, because we were maybe 60 in the 12th grade, and they would take five to medical school. So the first five got into medical school. But then when you get in there, you have other guys who came from, let's say, Colombia, mm -hmm. um, let's say uh, Jamaica, St. Lucia, uh, the whole Caribbean. We have students from everywhere. So, I mean, your best friend is not necessarily the guy from your country, you're just people who have goals in common, yeah. you like doing stuff. You just become people. Sure. So, uh, that pretty much opened the world to us just instantly. Secondary school, we didn't know what was going on. We're on a tiny island of Havana. <laughs> but once we got to Havana, uh, I could travel to Jamaica during the holidays. Uh, some of my friends would come to Miami, some would go to Canada. So you pretty much had an opportunity to, to understand the world. Very, very different to the way that the native Cubans were yes. treated, correct? Uh, of course, because uh, we all had our Guinean passports. Um, we were treated like any other person from any part of the world who will go to an American embassy. They give you a visa because they think you're not going to stay, you are here. So you said that you were sponsored by the government of Ghana through yeah. this special program from yeah. very early in your life. Did your parents come with you into, uh, into well, Cuba? Vacation. Um, our parents in Ghana were pretty smart. They had to be the ones advocating for us. So they had an organization of all the kids who were in Cuba. Our parents had an organization in Ghana that was pretty much like a pressure group. So they put a pressure on the government. Hey, these kids are in Cuba. It's really hard. You got to pay them more money. And you got to start paying them from secondary school. Wow. Oh, you got to start paying them from pre-invest. Oh, no. This is how much you give them money. It's not just how good it has. So we have all that going for us. Uh, and because Ghana is Commonwealth, we didn't need a visa to go to any Commonwealth country. So I could walk into Jamaica whenever I wanted. I could walk into St. Lucia without a visa. And um, with that Commonwealth relationship, Jamaica was open to us. I mean, doctors in Jamaica live really good. In St. Lucia, we're only less than 60 doctors for an island of 150 people. So you live good there. So, I mean, that was a very easy platform for me, make good money uh, and um, be practicing for my step one, step two, and step three. So I, uh, uh, Jamaica initially, I just you know, was working at a small hospital. But when I went to St. Lucia, 
I was in charge of the STD program for the whole island. Wow. So I got to the travel. sexually transmitted yes, diseases program HIV, for the whole island yeah. through the Department of Health of uh, right, Jamaica. Saint Lucia. Saint Lucia, actually. So I could travel to Jam. I, I got my visa to America. It was very easy before even the green card. Uh, I could travel anywhere: Peru, uh, Barbados. Uh, travel a lot of United Nations meetings, uh, and all that. My focus was never different. I always wanted to practice medicine in the U.S. From the third year in medical school. Because the people from Ghana who had already completed school were in Miami. Some of them were in residency programs, and uh, we all knew it was really good to practice here. You can get into a residency program. It is not very complicated. It is transparent, and uh, you could get to practice real good medicine. Because in our country, specifically Latin America, probably cannot compare. I don't know if this is mm. the way in Africa, mm. but in our country, I would say you need a political influence to get into residency yes. training. And on, if you don't make it, uh, event and eventually, if you do actually, it's super expensive. You need to pay for your own residency program mm -hmm. every semester for the last for the next three to five years, depending on your specialty. Yeah. Uh, was that the way it was for you? Uh, exactly. With actually, Sanya? we have more applicants than open spots in the Dominican Republic for residency, mm -hmm. and again, it's very political. And uh, usually it's supposed to go, the spots are supposed to be given to like the people with the best scores on the testing, but usually that's not what happened. Right. You know, in our countries, if you know a friend of a friend, yeah. that's usually the way to get a spot. And I didn't want to go through that. So that's when I decided after looking at all my possibilities, I decided, okay, we're going to, to the States. But it was a very long process because initially, okay, I need to learn the medical English. Second, it's, it's quite expensive, you know? Oh, yes. uh, for my first exam, I did Kaplan because by myself, I felt I wasn't wow. getting anywhere. But after with a step one, um, okay, I paid for the program and thanks and, God and, I did and, because that helped me. And Kaplan is not cheap. And no, it's not cheap at all. Like how much, $5,000 so or something? It was $10, like, it was, yeah, no, no, the Dominican was around $5,000 five, five and we're talking 2000 and, you know, 2007, you know, it cost 4000 10 years ago. So were you bilingual already when you came from Ghana? Is, is that English a uh, yeah. uh, basic yeah, language? British, yeah, Ghana is a British colony. Okay. Yeah. So we have two different people, different parts of the world. Dr. Atigre comes from Africa into Cuba, yeah. from Cuba to San Lucia. Yes. At some point in time, you spent some time in Jamaica. Yeah. And then you came into the United States. Yes. That's your path. Yes. Uh, in the United States, where did you go first before you well, came into Florida? You know, I just uh, came straight into residency. You know, I am uh, New, yeah, New York, New York, uh, NYU downtown, New York City. I uh, did my training there, liked it. Um, you know, Lower Manhattan. And and for you, uh, with Sanya, it was from Santo Domingo. To, to like residency in Chicago. Straightforward. Mm -hmm. You didn't. You guys didn't stop like I did in Miami to kind of get acquainted, do some rotations, observerships. I, I didn't get to do any observerships. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was very lucky because I was offered a pre-match. I didn't go to the match, mm -hmm. so I did maybe six or seven interviews, 
and I didn't do great on the on the USMLE. I got like you know, 88, 92, 94. I didn't get all the straight 99s like some physicians do. Uh, but I guess I did well in my interviews, and and I didn't have to go through the stress of the match. And I was offered a pre-match, but I understand these days pre-match are not allowed anymore. Everybody has to go through the match now. Yeah, any uh, less less to so you went to the academic places as both of you in New York. No, I went to Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. What was your program, Doctor Atigre? Oh, I went out on the York City. Nice. Yeah. In yours? My program was associated to University of Illinois. How, how big was your class? Uh, the first year internship class? I think we were about 20. Oh, that's a busy yeah, place. Yeah, it was busy because we did NYU downtown first year, second year, Memorial Sloan Catering Cancer Center. Fantastic. Then, yeah, the best experience I ever had uh, was at Sloan. We, we always like to go to Sloan. Uh, but I no, wasn't gonna be an internist. I was gonna be a surgeon. No way. Uh, because you're I, too nice, not uh, yeah. You're too I nice to be my, a surgeon. I finished my step one, step two. Uh, my initial path was to go to Jackson Memorial Hospital and yep. do surgery. That was the next year. No way. So you was, you were accepted already. Uh, I had the yeah. I was gonna get into Jackson. Uh, it wasn't a match yet. Uh, my adopted father at that time, Mr. Earl Phillips. He was the number two guy for the United States mission in St. Lucia. He was a Peace Corps guy, but the whole American structure there, uh, Earl was the guy. So Earl's daughter was married to one of the big guys at Jackson. So he said, okay, you're going to do surgery. Are you going to wait for one year? Because I had already finished my exam. So I was in the office in St. Lucia on a Tuesday. And I was like, wait a minute. How long I wait here for one more year? I just want to go. I mean, when you are done, you want to be gone. <laughs> so I took the phone and I remember the lady Jackie Pink, who was the program director for NYU Downtown Internal Medicine. I just started looking at the open positions and those who were still interviewing. Did you uh, have to go through the electronic residency application no, system? I, I, I pretty much. You pretty much. Yeah, so I called them, I said, hey, and I did very well in step one because I uh, then step two, I did a solution. I said, you know what, I'm not going to take a risk. So the government paid for me to go to Miami for three months and just a day Kaplan. So I did very well in step one and step two. And I called that lady and I told her my step one and step two scores. That was on a Tuesday, so come for an interview. I just packed my stuff. So on Thursday, I was in New York for an interview. And on Thursday, I got pretty much. And they, they offer you a position right then. Uh, because I guess, you know, most of the residencies, they wanted experience somewhere else. You've worked, you know, when you start the residency, you are a doctor, you're a worker, you're not a student. Yeah. Uh, so they wanted to have some of that there. And I was excited. It was New York, unless, until the cold. I was like, wait a minute, I like this place, but the cold. You were single then, right? I was very single. And, and, and you, you're married. Yes, when you? I got married, second year of residency. Okay. I was single mm. when I moved. Well, engaged. Yeah, so you know, it's always a good experience in New York. Yeah. See, so I was in New York uh, last December. It's such a busy place. Uh, I, I I don't know how you guys were able to take it. So I guess I'm gonna tell you how I felt. I ended up in Nebraska, and I'm obviously a different kind of guy. I'm a little dark Latino. A little dark I have an accent. Enough. 
we're a little bit more dramatic, right, uh, Wilsania? We're a little bit more outspoken, sometimes a little bit louder than the Irish people, and, and sometimes our message comes powerful, powerful <laughs> correct, and could be misinterpreted. I learned through personal mistakes that I had to tone myself and act more American-like because it was not very well seen, very well seen by other people. Okay. I guess probably you got you were in New York, you were in Chicago. I was in Chicago. What, what I learned that bigger ci big bigger cities probably more permissible, especially in New York, more multicultural and yeah. they're used to everybody. But still, there's people from everywhere in the. In the residency programs, you know, we have a lot of like Middle East, yeah. Europeans, and I learned the hard way to keep my hands to my personal space. And you know, no kissing, no hugging, no saying, hey, how are you? And giving somebody a hug. I learned that when somebody just put their hands and say, like, you need to respect my personal space. Because, wow. you know, I'm Dominican, yeah. I'm, I'm used to say hello with a kiss or give a hug uh -huh. to everybody. In America, sometimes if you do that, people might perceive it as a sexual harassment. Yes, harassment. Yeah, and uh, you're very right about that. So no hugs for anybody anymore. Sometimes you see something good in somebody, you can't say it because they may interpret it in the wrong way. And yes. And that's just another screw. So, <laughs> when you, you joined his practice, how long ago? In November of 2018. Okay, you've been here for a while. Over, yes. really over a year, yeah, it's been uh, over a year. But I tell you, the impact is really felt because it's like she's been here from the beginning. So uh, how big is your practice? How many patients? 10,000, 20,000 patients? I cannot answer that question, well, but I just can tell you it's a whole lot. Yeah, we have a whole lot of patients <laughs> everywhere. I don't know. Uh, the office, you know, we, are busy. We, now, we concentrate a lot on the office. Uh, we always had uh, the concept because, yeah, I was born in Ghana, Africa, but you know, I consider myself more Hispanic than African. I just happened to be born in Africa. All my life was in Cuba. Uh, that is where I ever knew anything about anything. That's why you're fluent in Spanish. In yes. Spanish. And um, sometimes the Cubans, they come and I just throw them off. They don't know what they are dealing with. They don't know where I got it from. If I learned it here, then what about Islam? Where do you get those things from? But we grew up in it. You don't learn, you grew up in it at the age of 12. Uh, so my life experience and everything is Hispanic. Uh, so when we got, and, you know, got to America, started practice, I always wanted uh, to be with these people who have given me so much. I mean, they have given me my life. The Cubans. Yeah. So you're very appreciative towards this yes. Cuban yeah, government. Everything. They've given me everything. Uh, I don't know what my life would have been if I didn't fall in there. I don't know. They gave me an education. They gave me the, 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 what I needed to think and do the next best thing. So we wanted to provide the best quality care to people who have given so much to you, the Hispanic community. So when we put this place, most of our patients are Hispanic. Uh, and we treat each of them like they were the only patient we had. And this is not to f make your ears full, but I think the patients love you. They speak highly of you, Thank you. and you're extremely responsive. I think one of the 
as an emergency physician, I'm always calling people. Sometimes I feel that I'm bothering, bothering them. Like the other day that we had that interaction over the cell phone that you gave me your cell phone, I was able to call you and we finally found out what was wrong with this patient. We didn't know if it was a subarachnoid bleed or yeah. subdural or a CNS mass. We didn't know. You got a hold of the medical records. You made me aware. You made everything go so smoothly. And that kind of interaction is, is sometimes what is difficult to deal with because sometimes some interactions with consultants in America from other specialties do not go well. Yeah. But I guess, and this might not apply to you since you work in private practice, yeah. you work with whoever wants to work with you. You want with people that want to take care of your patients the way you wanted to take, yeah. would you take care of them, them yourself? When yes. I started working with him, first thing he made clear is like this clinic was his baby. And this is his project what he dreamed all his life. So and this is he treats this place like a child. I felt the energy from the moment that I walked in. Uh, the practice manager, fantastic attitude. Oh, yeah. You know, usually you walk into a doctor's office, they're bitter to see you, mm-hmm. people are not friendly, you're like another extra patient. But uh with Sanya, I'm gonna tell you and, and, and I think after having gone this far, do you, do you feel satisfied, both of you guys? I mean, you made it clear. You're extremely appreciative for the Cubans. What about you? Who who do you feel thankful for? I mean, somebody meaningful, somebody that made a difference in your life, in your career? Yes, absolutely. My uh, medical director. Your program director? Yes, I had a first, well, I will say first, like rough first three months. Yes, you know, it is rough. Just adjusting to the American system. The weather, transportation. And yeah, exactly. It's just really super cold in Chicago. Everything was so different. The culture, the language, the medical practice. You know, the way we practice medicine in, mm-hmm. in the Dominican Republic is 100% different from what you see in the States. We do a lot of testing here. A lot Too of testing. testing. Too much testing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like non-stop. You have your... your you, at that time, because it's not like that anymore, uh, where calls were like 24-hour calls. So it's like you were exhausted. Yeah, before they, they did the, yeah. the, 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 the reduction in the hours. Work hours, So one, one thing, when I call a consultant, some internist, I said, don't call me until everything is back. Sometimes I call you, hey, Dr. Atigre, this lady has a UTI, is confused, has a fever, given her antibiotics, she got culture. I'm waiting for the CBC, it's gonna be high. If it's high or low, is it gonna make a difference how we treat it? Do you mind admitting the patient? You put the admission order, boom, the patient is gone. You know, but some people are so harsh over the phone. And and, and, and one thing that I notice is like, I'm begging them to take the patient. Yeah, that is, um, and uh, you know, I think what probably makes those of us who came from somewhere we wanted, we like medicine, we wanted to help people. So you call us at two o'clock and we're not upset. You call us at 3 a.m. we're not upset. You call us at 4 a.m. we're not upset. Because you cannot be upset. You there's know? no schedule to get there's sick. There's no schedule to get sick. Uh, and we, uh, the hospital for us is actually better than the office because we get calls from very complex patients mm-hmm. at 2 a.m. on a Sunday uh, uh, a weekend I was at her house and we had a patient who was just weak and called the nurse practitioner on call up. I just want to go to the hospital. There was no need. So we just had wonderful. She was talked to her. She was okay. There was nothing going on. 
Just sad. Just, just sad. She just needed to talk to somebody. She to talk to somebody. So, so we talked to her Sunday yeah. afternoon. You guys both went to her house and chatted. No, we, we talked to her on the phone. She was happy. She came in. Then we bring them to the office on Monday. There was nothing going on. What happened? You look better than when we spoke to you on Saturday. Oh, yeah. I feel good now. You know, um, that, that personal touch of family medicine, in my case, I miss a little bit. And I'm getting to the middle of my career and I felt to create it pod, this, the reason to create this, this podcast is I needed to give back. I've been in America almost as long as I, uh, I was spent in Colombia. I'm 42. Mm -hmm. I came here when I was 21. It's been 21 years here. Mm -hmm. and, and you reach that maturity in your career that you feel, okay, I think I've done really well for myself. I'm happy, financially stable. I have a beautiful mm -hmm. wife. I have two mm -hmm. kids. What's next? Right. I thought medical directorship at the hospital was going to bring that extra edge. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel I was getting anywhere with that. Mm -hmm. and, and this project was being put in the background, in the background. And unless... I got the motivation to do it. It wouldn't come out. Mm -hmm. And and this is the, the, the message that I, that I want to bring out. Like people like you that have been doing this for many years, you know, so you thank your program director for everything yes, that I he did. Um, was he American? American. American. And well, she was really into the Hispanic culture. Her husband was Latino. Hispanic, mm -hmm. Latino. So she even spoke Spanish. And uh, she really, she was really a motivation to me. You came by yourself, right? No, yes. with no one else. By myself. You came alone. by yourself alone. Mm -hmm. So, was the same situation? One piece of luggage or, or two, renting an apartment, trying yeah. to figure out credit in America. Any any crazy phone and okay, here we go. So, just just to give recognition to the residency programs that you went through, uh, what's the name of yours? Uh, advocate Illinois Masonic. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how big was your class? Uh, 16. Well, pretty big program. A uh, three-year, four-year path? Three years. Three-year path. And your program was? Uh, NYU downtown. NYU downtown. Uh, first year, 20, because of at least four or five. Uh, uh, preliminary. Yeah, preliminary. And then after that, 15 or 16, the rest of the years. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no. On our prelim, there were like 10 more. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it was, a, it was a really big program. Huge program. Because here in Tampanera, we were 10 and we thought that we were big. Oh, thanks. For emergency medicine. So we were 10, yeah, 10, 10. three years, we were 16. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, who was the fundamental person in your life? I mean, the government of Cuba, Dr. Atigre, played a significant role on determining your career path. But is, you said you made the government of Ghana. The government of Ghana. Yeah. Any specific person, mom and dad, that wanted you to become a doctor? Like uh, for me, it was just motivation. Uh, I always wanted to be a doctor. For that, I knew from, uh, because coming from a developing country, uh, this is what happens in Africa. You can do whatever you want to do. There are two set of people who are going to do what? Doctors and politicians. Because the system there takes care of doctors, regardless. In Ghana. Yes. So, whereas everybody else is struggling, you know, minimum wage or super minimum wage, doctors do well because they need them there. They don't have that many. Uh, they all work, almost all of them work for the government. Uh, so when you are done, they come to get you a car, they'll give you enough results for you to have, get a house. So they are generally comfortable, no other profession in Ghana gets that. 
So I knew at least it was that was a security blanket. Once you you do medicine, uh, so it was very competitive. When we got in there, everybody wanted to do medicine. So out of the sixty people in pre university and the Cuban system, they said that you have to do well in everything. So mathematics, chemistry, biochemistry. You can't just go and do biology, chemistry, and something. No, it's uh, escalatory. So it's just the average. So. 97, number one, 98, number two, 99.1. So the first five, it was unusual for you to see anybody out of that bracket not do medicine. So they have engineering, they have so many other uh, other uh, careers that you could have taken back. It was predictable, so. And I was in school with like very wealthy kids. Wealthy? Yeah, very wealthy kids. I mean, whereas I was going to Jamaica for my holidays, so they were in England. <laughs> Canada, every vacation. And, uh, every country has a small yeah. group of wealthy people. And, right? uh, but this is one thing that they never influenced them. They didn't influence the educational process, no. The chief of defense staff, whose son was with me in, medic in school in Cuba, he couldn't get into medical school. Impossible. But they didn't try. But they had enough resources mm. to influence that process, but they never did that. They respected the process. Uh, they made the Cuban educational system to take care of the process. And now, whoever did well, did well. Whoever didn't, bye-bye. Uh, so that is something I respect from the government. They could have played games if they wanted to, but they didn't. So I know that the Latin community in Florida is super strong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of feel that everywhere around here in Tampa. In your personal case, I, I suspect that the Ghana population in Tampa is very little, and the Ghana population in the U.S. is it a small or there's well, it's pretty big. In the U.S. in New York, New York has more doctors in Ghana than doctors practicing Ghana from Ghana. It's a big community in New York. I don't know that in Tampa. I don't have that. You no, know, not much. What goes on? Not got um, it. Uh, I don't. You don't really like like me. You, I don't no. start saying touch with my Colombian people. I don't know why. Why? Because I, I don't know why. I, I just keep it to I myself. I think we are probably too busy professionally that most of our cycle of influence is just along those lines, and uh, that is what I've seen mostly. So, so Africa as a continent, I would say for the most part, mm -hmm. is uh, full of countries that are remarkably poor. Yes. Obviously, there is bright people, there is smart people, and many people that wanted to become doctors like you. What would you tell a medical student from Ghana or anywhere in Africa that wants to fulfill your, their dreams in America? What would be the message that you would give them if you had the chance? If they approach you, Dr. Atigra, I want to be a doctor like you in America. I feel that you're you're an example to follow. What would you tell them to do? What would be those words of advice? Well, my number one word of advice to them is just be focused and be focused. Yeah, focus and believe in yourself. Uh, this country offers a lot of opportunities. Uh, the system is straightforward. Once you work hard and you persevere, you are gonna get there. Um, and just be yourself. That's how we got here. We never doubted ourselves. The three of us, we had to work hard. I mean, you had a path where you had to go to family practice, but you wanted to be an emergency doctor and you are one. Uh, and the same has happened to any of the two of us here. So I would tell them just look forward, don't doubt yourself and always believe you can do it. I think it's possible. What about you? I would say, yeah. 
feeling to his lungs, pretty much the same thing. It's just everything is possible, okay? And sometimes the path might be harder for some of us and others might be a little lucky, but at the end, everybody can make it. My best friend didn't match five years in a row. And she's now the medical director of a psychiatric uh, hospital in Alabama. Wow. So she never gave up. Five times she didn't match. Five years in a row. Yeah, same thing for me. Three matches failed, fourth match, pre-match position, mm -hmm. but never really got that notification that I had matched with anyone. So um, how do you want to close this up? Anything else you wanted to tell us as personal experience, comment or an experience that you want to bring up, something different that you want to bring into? I will say um, us, us, I will say successful physicians because we are now in a different position. It's for us just to pass what we learn to the next generations. What I am part of this uh, group of Dominican physicians and the way we help is just by um, sharing our experiences with other uh, Dominican like medical students that want to come to the U.S. You know, there's a lot you can do just by giving them advice on what steps to follow. Just by, you know, I have this girl I'm trying to like give advice right now. She's in her internship last year of medical school in the Dominican. And just by answering her questions about eras, the application process, like the match, what to expect, you know, who to talk to, helping her with a letter of recommendations, putting together a resume, just by giving them advice when they are completely lost and they don't know what the next step is, you help. Could, could be overwhelming. Imagine. So that's that's what I'm trying to do. I just want to get the message, give, give people hope. Yes. Exactly. And, um, you know, just bring the community together. I want people to come to our, my website, to my Facebook page and be a resource. Right now, what I'm working on is networking into the National Residency Matching Programs, the Educational Commission of Medical Graduates, uh, the American Academy of Medical Colleges, AAMC, I think just to see if I can get a representative to come and talk to us a little bit more about this complicated process because I just find it overwhelming. I just sat myself to review the things that we had to go through and it's, it's crazy. Yes, how did I get all that? We went through a lot. A lot. You know, English as a foreign language, you had to do, everybody had to go through all these other tests that you look back and say, wow. But I mean, we got here. Let, let me ask you a question might be a difficult question yeah. i feel that the united states has a bitter, little bit of a racial component and since you're african obviously black yeah. in america yeah. sometimes i think black people in america get mistreated bias at any point through your training or coming into the u.s where you ever do you ever feel potentially segregated just for being African, uh, for having an accent, or that has not influenced uh, your career? Not at a professional level. Uh, you are going to get it from somebody who is actually not... Professional level it may be more subtle, it wouldn't be straight, it wouldn't be direct, uh, but at a professional level, I always say if you prove yourself, you cannot be surprised. You are going to come up. Correct. Because I take a look at like our patient base as well, a lot of Hispanics, there's no doubt. Uh, but we've had white Americans who could have been in any of the offices out there. 
and they come here and they've been coming for a long time and these are pretty much well-educated people who recruit everything before they do anything and the other part you see is when they come to the hospital after the cardiologist sees them they will call you to ask you what do you think do you think i should do this do you think i should do that and so when you get up at one hand and you get somebody who has no education, no background, who thinks you need a translator to be able to understand the English they are talking. <laughs> you are like, okay, uh, where and how do I measure this? And so I see those as challenges, but for me, the, those actually actually be motivation. Got it, some motivation. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to, to kind of, uh, what about you? Uh, do you feel at some point in time that you were looked down uh, by other consultants or colleagues or fellows or? Not really. And I was in Alabama for six years, South uh, Alabama, pretty American, you know, population, 95% of the population there are gringos. Caucasians, you yeah. Know? Uh, actually, I would say 50-50, African-Americans and, and, and white uh, Caucasians. But I, I never felt, uh, I felt different myself, but I never felt uh, a difference in their treat to me, the way they treated me. It was always very respectful. One, one more question regarding your immigration. Um, what kind of visa you got into the U.S., Dr. I have family stuff, so I came with a green card. A green card, awesome. And you, doctor. I came on a, on a J1 visa. So, so at the end of my training, I had to like. So you, yeah, you, Dr. Atelier, you did not use a lawyer. It was straightforward, easy for you. Mm -hmm. But I bet you had to potentially use a lawyer with the sponsorship of your J1. Exactly. Initially, J1 is a complicated visa status. And I think we're going to talk into a podcast in the future about that. But And, you know, Maybe I'll probably link up with Dr. Sai. He is, you know, he went through my same experience. His wife is Cuban, uh, and uh, he was in Chicago too. And uh, he gave a very objective perspective of they were all on J1 visas. He's from Ghana, but he, he was born in England, so he had a British passport and a Kenyan passport. So he didn't need a visa to come to America, <laughs> but his wife did. Wow. But for me. I needed to do a waiver, you know, after you're on a J-1 program, mm -hmm. at the end of the training, you need to return to your country for at least two years, and then you could apply to come back to the States. But if you want to waive that condition, then you have to work in an underserved area, either for three or five years. So when you are solo or single, you can opt for the uh, three years waiver. But if you want your spouse to have a right to also be employed in the United States, you got to go through the National Interest Waiver Program, and that is a five-year program. So that's the one I chose. You so were my married husband, then? I was married by then, by the time I finished residency. So that was the only way for my husband to be allowed to work in the U.S. So you spent five years in Alabama? Actually six. And then they finally release you and you said, I'm out of here. Yes, and at the end of the five years, I got my green card, but that's, everything is a process. It's, it took a little longer after the five years. 
Yeah, who, who, who paid for the immigration fees? Your employer? My previous employer. Was the government of Alabama it part of It was a federally funded clinic, so okay. pretty much, yes. So there is the ways to find it. Okay, good. Well, it's been a fantastic 45 minutes here of time at your office. You have a beautiful office. Thank you. you. It's beautiful. It's called Accord Medical Group. Uh, we're located in uh, downtown. Well, not really downtown, but West Tampa. West Tampa, the core of the Hispanic community in Tampa. And uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for opening the doors uh, today. And we just want to get the message out there. People might come up with questions. They might would like potentially to give feedback or they want to speak with you. I will probably direct them, send in your email and contact information. And, um, and I really, really want to thank you for dedicating at the very end of your day, these 45 minutes to talk to me about your life. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you. Gracias.